Wine America. I'm Frank Spring, joined as ever by Ellie Jacobs, a man who misses water more than anything right now. And Maggie Moore uh, has the week off uh, because all work and no play makes Maggie dull command officer. Hey, Frank. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank all of our listeners and Maggie, who will presumably be listening to this at, some, at, at her leisure, for their comments, both positive and negative. Urge everybody to rate us and leave a review on iTunes or whatever app they use to listen to us. We are now up on Spotify, apparently. Uh, please also visit our website, www.takingship.com, and buy as many t-shirts as you deem responsible, then buy a couple more. Uh, finally, please follow us on Twitter at, at @takingship, and that's ship with a P as in pabulum. You can follow Frank on Twitter at, at @frankspring, Maggie at MaggieM012, and me at Ellie Jacobs, or not go on Twitter at all and probably be better for it. Uh, this yes, week, yes, we we what we well, the only promise that we can make you, unlike Maggie Haberman, is that the worse Twitter gets, the more we will be on it. Yeah, ever present. The end, Twitter will just be all us all the time. We will be the most online anyone has ever been. It's going to be truly horrible. Not yeah. while you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just take your phone and smash it right after you finish listening to this. Uh, so this week, we are very thrilled to be joined by boxer extraordinaire and fellow Truman National Security Project member, Shauna Dillavu, um, which I hope I just pronounced that properly. She is a security innovator, weaving together her experience in intelligence, free speech, technology, and trauma. In 2013, she founded Community Red to support free speech and closed societies. She pioneered integrations of participatory methods, trauma-sensitive approaches, and human behavior change research into digital security training and strategy. And she's gonna tell us what that all means and how <laughs> awesome it all is. Her work began in 2008 as an open source intelligence analyst and has continued as a 2009 National Security Educational Program Boren Fellow. And as previously mentioned, a 2016 member of the National, Truman National Security project and a 500 hour ryt train in trauma sensitive yoga mm -hmm. he writes on security in governance trauma and technology and regularly comments on security practices welcome shauna hi thank you happy to comment today on security awesome. practices and and we are going to get and we need some of that we desperately mm -hmm. need some of that because it turns out <clears throat> some of our listeners may be aware that that security practices and really we're talking about security practices in the digital space that is that right Shana oh yeah uh, that security practices well we we have we haven't particularly on the political left we haven't so much been doing them uh, in the last few years ask John Podesta about that. <laughs> there's been some. And there's been some trouble. <laughs> we had a bit of what might be characterized as local difficulty on that front. I'm starting to think I won't, win a, I won't get that free pizza after giving that man my social security number and email, mm -hmm. and email yeah. logins. It mm -hmm. seems, yeah, I think, we have to, I think we have to accept the possibility that that might be the case. So uh, but, but, but before, we, before we turn our attention to, uh, to the past, let's look a little bit ahead to the future. Uh, the 2018 midterm elections are right around the corner. There has been a great deal of concern that, uh, that Russia may attempt uh, to fuck with us in the same way that they did in 2016, uh, yeah. not to put too fine a point on it. What is your read on uh, Russia and the 2018 midterms? I think, so I've thought a lot about this and, and I've been doing a lot of reading. And I think at this point, like Russia will hack us. Russia will hack the midterms. It's kind of clickbaity because I'm not mm -hmm. convinced that's the case. Um, you know, I think the big question, and this maybe comes from my intelligence background, but it would also be like a logical question, like why? 
what for? In, 26, in 2016, we had a presidential election. It was kind of a big deal. Like mm-hmm. if there are key races in 2018 that would mean a lot to them, I'm not sure what they would be, if it would have to do with Magnitsky and adoption or like just the kinds of things that like Putin feels like he needs to demonstrate or flex his muscle, demonstrate a strong manness, then I can see that happening and in a couple of races. But to expend that kind of resource, you know, those human bot farms essentially, you know, to have all those people influencing opinion in different states in the country to influence an overall election just doesn't seem likely. And and so what I see now is like, you know, Congress has allowed something like, what is it, like $380 million for each state or something like absurd like that, a large amount of money for each state to modernize its election apparatus. And I think that's important, but they're all kind of moving towards paper-only systems. I'm not, first of all, first of all, when I was a precinct captain for DC, which is yeah. probably, yeah, probably not like the gold standard, let's just put it that way, they were doing smart things with their electronic stuff. Like it was never linked to any Wi-Fi, things never went online, like they had data cartridges that were pulled in and out, which were like impossible to, difficult to use as a precinct captain. I got into more than one argument um, with, with the staff from that company that was running those, like not the e-poll books, but the, data, uh, the voting apparatus. That stuff is guarded by police escorts. Like, I think that they manage the digital side of it well enough. Our systems are decentralized, like they're air-gapped, that meaning they don't go online necessarily. So I'm less concerned about the polls. Obviously, the bigger questions are like the databases. So like the results, the tabulation of the results, I'm not so worried. It's the database of voters that has me a little more concerned. And in everything that I've read, if it gets mentioned, it gets mentioned at the very end. And I just think, why? (laughs) Because the Help America Vote Act was all about creating these online repositories of data, data, like voter information, databases of voter information, which have essentially become honeypots. Like if you think about it in terms of, when I say honeypot, y'all know what I'm talking about? No, please tell us. Okay. So like in an InfoSec setting, a honeypot is essentially what a bear would find, like a pot of honey, like it's a pot of goodness. Like you've put together, you've amassed all this information, maybe all these credit card numbers or all of this information about dissidents in the case of like uh, Open Society Foundation or a big philanthropist, they got into trouble with that, with DC leaks. You're putting all of this information in one place. So all a hacker has to do is hack into one database or one email address or like one email account and they get a ton of data that's been already amassed for them or already uh, collated i guess is the word i would use so essentially what we've done is create these databases that are honeypots and you've seen this problematically sort of demonstrated already in and around gamer gators so when different women were being targeted by gamer gators so like these online masses of trolls um, that were amorphous and sort of like moving in and out, like going after one target and another across platforms and in all these different physical and digital methods. Like what they would do was go to the state where they knew their target lived and download the voter registration database, and then they'd have her address, and, and they for, could her that way. For folks who are for folks who may not who may have missed this particular moment of fuckery. Uh, and I will attempt to be as brief on this as possible because it's one of these things that's that's vile and, and stupid and complex in equal measure. But Gamergate roughly was a uh, a kind of ad hoc uh, digital campaign 
to uh, to harass and discredit women who are writing about uh, video game journalism. Uh, and and yeah. it, it's, its origins are so dumb, they're not even worth getting into. But basically, it was a highly, highly gendered yeah. uh, internet campaign to make life hell for women who commented on video. Yeah, and by make life hell, I mean, it was one dude who got jilted, who like just essentially couldn't handle rejection, who sent thousands of people after women physically threatened their lives. In as much as like, I mean, Anita Sarkeesian went to speak at Arizona State University and they wouldn't, there was um, a threat of, like her life was threatened um, in reference to, I think, a shooting in Montreal of a bunch of women in 1976 or 78. I can't remember what it was, but, you know, like made reference to this and threatening her life and Arizona State wouldn't, the university wouldn't do anything about their open carry. They wouldn't like remove weapons. They wouldn't put up metal detectors. So she wasn't able to speak there. So this is like, it's not just like, oh, they hurt my feelings. So they called me names. Like these were people who were actively intending harm mm. on the women they were attacking. And this, we got into this because the the voter file, which is the the centralized file of everyone who's registered to vote in a in a, and it's meant to be kept reasonably up to date on addresses and so forth, mm-hmm. um, a certain degree of personal information. That's um, kept by secretaries of state, so there's fifty of them. And and to the the point that you were the point that you were making, which I think is a really good one, is the fear of a of an outside actor attempting to influence the outcome of a vote. Votes are tabulated for listeners. Votes are tabulated by county clerks around the country. There are there are thousands of these of these offices, thousands of these people, each of them with different degrees of digital engagement. You know, they're highly. I mean, when Shauna said they're highly decentralized, that that is, if anything, a, a wild understatement. Uh, anyone who who wants to, if if anyone can figure out how to hack the uh, the the office, the county clerk of Colfax County, New Mexico, for example, that is a cunning bit of work. Uh, <laughs> because it, I mean, they're just they're, you know these are you know these are far flung. A lot of them. I could see someone attempting to target maybe. I, mean, I guess you could try to mess with one of the big county clerks, right. right? But but then you'd probably but then you would probably get a result that would be detected as being as being fraudulent. Mm-hmm. If Cook County suddenly comes back Republican, mm-hmm. it's not like everyone's going to be like, "Oh, well, that was oh. weird." You know? Yeah. I guess, no, exactly. I guess all these people. exactly. And in terms of security, decentralization is always the best thing you can do. It's why I'm so concerned that there are only a handful of tech companies. Like decentralization means that it would take a lot more work to get to all of those counties in just one state to influence like a congressional race there. You know, like at what point, I mean, why would, and at that point you have to ask, like why would any Russians, like why would they be concerned about like a state senator or a state congressperson? Like it just, that's a lot of effort to, to swing or influence a, like a, a race that may not have much influence on their economy or on their security needs or on whatever they're aiming for necessarily. It could be punitive, but I'm not so concerned about Russians as I am about other folks, other groups, and I'm looking at the RNC um, picking up on these tactics and using these tactics. I think that's a far more likely scenario. Okay, let's let's talk about let's talk about that here in a second. But first, I want to I want to stick with the uh, the news here a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so there, it, it seems. I mean, it may be happening. It may by the time this podcast is over, it may have already happened. But it like <laughs> Actually, Frank, before we dive into that, uh, let me, Sean, let me ask you yeah. one question about the Russia in twenty eighteen. Yeah. This is something that I continue to be stuck on, and after talking to lots of smart people, I'm still kind of stuck on it. Um, it all kind of goes back to what the original motivation was. Was it just to sow, sow chaos or was it to get Trump elected because he would put the policies in place that they wanted? And if it was the former, 
why wouldn't they do it again in 2018? And if it was the latter, wouldn't they want to keep him in office, thereby meaning they need to keep a House Republican majority? Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I, I, I think the thing with intent in any kind of a hack scenario or any kind of like a data breach or any kind of like cyber espionage, it's difficult to say what the intent was. It, it, I think I'd have to be more of a, what do you call those folks? Sovietologists? Like one of those folks who's mm -hmm. like, I'd have to know more about Russia and where, and Putin and where it's going. So in my work previously, I did a lot of work in the former Soviet Union. And it seems like just like the intent might've been punitive. Like they really yeah. wanted to punish Hillary or, and, um, you know, I, I think that they were surprised. This was Eurasia and I, what's the Eurasia group? I think it was their analysis that the Russians were surprised that he'd won. I think it might've been more of a test case. Like, can we take this show from like the smaller countries that we've tried it in previously, Ukraine being one of them, can we put it on a larger scale and really affect it? Mm. Now, demonstrated a level of knowledge about our political system, which is a, not an easy system to understand for most Americans. I don't know how folks outside of it get it. Um, it demonstrated a level well, of knowledge. Easy. You, think of, you think of, you know, a, a bear circus in the middle of Moscow and you <laughs> like throw vodka into the mix and just... just like, there it is. Yeah. 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 I mean, they were sophisticated in their attacks in certain states, right? Like the disinformation campaigns you saw in Michigan and in key states where Hillary was kind of counting on the win and didn't get it because she didn't spend the money there. And then they did all this like, no, voting is actually next week or Hillary is actually child porn like person whatever so there was plenty of that but i think that was probably what we'll find when Mueller's done with his investigation that was probably directed by forces inside the united states i'm not sure i'm not sure those are folks who would have yeah i mean yes keeping a majority in the how or in the in congress would be useful um but I think we've also given so much power to the executive at this point, and Trump doesn't seem to have much use for Congress as it stands. He just writes an executive order and, and moves on. And even though he has the majority, like it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to me like it matters to him. So while that may be something that like political consultants would advise him to do that this would make sense that here we can work with our friends in Russia to continue this here are our several key campaigns where we can probably continue to influence the vote um, I don't so backing out of that I don't think that looking at tabulation of results is the way that we need to protect ourselves so motivation again it might be punitive it might be that they were interested in Trump being elected. And what was the other option that you had, Ellie? I mean, it was kind of uh, just, and then sowing chaos. <sighs> just for like shits and giggles. I don't know that that wasn't the case, right? But I think that they've been doing that for a long time. Right. And I think the RNC has been doing that for a long time. So I'm not sure that that's going to change. That part may continue. And I, I would imagine it would, but I don't know that we'd have to worry about it being like a sophisticated hack is what I'm trying to say. And this fits yeah. into the, the broader question about who, about who they might target. Because if, you, if, if you're trying to put your thumb on the scale for one candidate or another, presidency is obviously the race you're going you're gonna to try that for. Uh, especially if it's, you know, if you have reason to believe is, you know, and, you know, in spite of the opinion of a lot of the, uh, a lot of the professional political class, including, I put my hand up, me, uh, this was going to be, you, you know, you had what was a, what was clearly a, a fairly close race and ended up being an extremely close race, right? Yeah. A little bit of outside influence can make a lot of difference on that. And the difference between a Trump president and a Clinton president 
is for Russia is massive. So you could see one, you could see being a little more directed there uh, and maybe being a little more directed there, but, but as we've seen what Russia has done over and over and, and, and this, I think, and I, this, this goes back to who the, to your earlier point about who they're targeting their real interest when they have messed with other people's political infrastructure is to, uh, is to destabilize their systems, to make it just harder for them to do anything. Uh, and to to undermine the sort of the functionality of their democracies, uh, we're talking about you know Baltic states and states in Eastern yeah. Europe, uh, and that's and and this again, if they were going to do something like ex, like execute a hack, it might not be of the tabulation systems, but it could be like something of the voter file, where you're just creating an across the board, you're creating chaos across the board. Yeah, is that is that is that right? So it's summing up what I said, yeah, because Ellie, I kind of got into deep water there. Um, yeah, my point with bringing up like the political operatives or the political consultants is without that direction internally, it would be really difficult, I, I would imagine, from the outside to understand which races were most important. And with all those folks under a lot of scrutiny, at least on, on like the national level, like the Trumpian folks, I would imagine that that is, of course, interesting to them, but also very tricky at this point. So who then like pulling strings on another level would have that kind of opportunity to connect with and like willingness to to connect with like the folks in Russia who are who would be managing this at this point. But that's it. I'm glad you asked that because I that tested my own hypothesis that I just, like <laughs> sort of assumptions I've been making. The other thing that I heard again from the Eurasia folks was that um, you know it would have been easier for for Hillary to have won for the Russians because she is so hawkish and they would it would have been easier to fight us. And now they don't have to fight us, right? Like but but Trump has made that so easy. So I think that analysis is kind of dead in the water. When you talk about destabilizing, I think that's it. It's like how much influence can we have? And that's the biggest concern that I have. Obviously like removing people from voter like registrations, like rem removing and like altering the voter rolls, that's the big concern about the databases being so uh, available. You know, then we're not talking about a democracy and then there is a, an, an influence that's measurable, right? That's not just like sort of theoretical. <clears throat> but the other thing that we will not stop seeing is misinformation, disinformation, and influence online. And that is, you know, that is stuff that if campaigns aren't careful, their own data gets used against them because it's an easy hack if someone doesn't have two-factor authentication turned on, Hillary's campaign, if they don't have decent passwords, that's so easy, like a teenager can hack that shit. And so then somebody like Julian Assange is all too happy to fucking publish it, and there goes our election. So it's, I, I don't see that shifting even in smaller races. That continues to be a concern. So I think in that case, I wouldn't argue that it's the Russians so much because again, like I'm not convinced Maybe I'm wrong, Ellie, but like I'm not convinced that they're the ones I'd be concerned of. I would be concerned about different factions inside of the United States taking up that mantle, right. taking on those tactics and practices, and and you know using using them against their competition. Right, Shana, you said the magic word. Uh, so so early, earlier we were so yeah. This so, is like uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. You say it's it's like, again. Ah, like, ah, yeah. Exactly. Everyone just like the windows yelling at us and like the <laughs> the word. God, I can't believe that show was made. Oh my god! I, it's know, such a, I can't believe it was canceled. Yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, I can't believe it happened, and I can't believe it's not still <laughs> happening. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's an inexplicable place. Uh, so 
it, by the t- you know, I mean, it may be that by the time we're done podcasting this, uh, mm-hmm. the Ecuadorians will have handed Assange over to the UK. But that that appears to be happening pretty much imminently. Uh, after uh, he's been in that, he's been in there for six years. Julian is that long? Yeah, he's been. I, I know, right? <laughs> Just sort of. Like, yeah, I can't. You know, yeah. So, so you know, a weird dude is probably. I would guess by now, significantly weirder. Uh, to, to be, that might be the kindest assessment of impossible. So, and someone probably le- has less color about him. Yeah, he's already even, basically exactly. clear, but he, now it's now essentially translucent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he is really he, pale and started like light up a flashlight behind him. He starts. <laughs> yeah, is he gonna have to be uh, like yeah, one we'll of those guys who's like been inside too long, so he has to wear sunglasses for the next like six months or something like that? <laughs> His eyes are red now. He's albino. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> oh God! Oh man, yeah, it's disturbing as hell. So, so they may be about to turn. So he may be about to be handed over uh, to to the UK. And there's a there's a, there's a dis- the the thought is he might be extradited to the US mm-hmm. to face prosecution for WikiLeaks. If you recall, he originally went into hiding uh, in Ecuador uh, or in the Ecuadorian embassy in London because he was being sought. Uh, he was he's obliged to appear to face uh, rape and molestation charges in Sweden. Those yeah. charges have been, those charges have since been have since been dropped for procedural reasons. The procedural right. reason being they haven't been able to serve him with papers, among other things, because he's been locked in the Ecuadorian embassy for a, for six years. So I bring this up because you will find some folks out there who, in their coverage of this, uh, sort of the gloss over you know oh those, he's no longer facing those charges anymore. He's just facing a charge for failure to appear, which the the prison sentence for which is less time than he actually has been locked up in the Ecuadorian embassy. Uh, yeah, it wasn't the, those charges were not dropped for lack of evidence or because the uh, the accusers recanted. They have emphatically not. Uh, it was simply that that he, that his hiding accomplished exactly what it was meant to, uh, which is it prevented due process uh, for very serious charges from from uh, taking place in Sweden. So anyway, he may be handed over to the U.S. What is his role in in all of in all of this? You mentioned that he you, you mentioned him earlier, but uh, before we move into uh, some of the other things that campaigns can do that uh, that malefactors can do to campaigns, yeah. let's talk about a little bit of history here. Where how does Assange and people like Assange fit into this? Right. Well, in addition to being misogynist dipshit i think we you know what he allowed was for so i have to caveat all of this because while i am like a free speech person i also come out of national security and i was working in intelligence when wikileaks happened and then later when snowden happened and i have strong feelings about well prism was one thing it was good to know that our own government was spying on us in these ways um because it made the technology companies lose face and then they had to build more secure technologies. Great, happy that that's happened. We can talk about that separately um, because plenty to say about that. But what bothered me the most was like releasing these cables and damaging relationships that the United States had with everyone else around the world, prevailing wisdom around DC. Again, this is like very inside baseball, but like when, when Assange, like <laughs> when they produced all of this how the sausage gets made kind of shit when that was published and all these different countries got to see just how their country governments were, were considered or how their leaders were considered or what they were, they felt like maybe they were being, um, they felt like maybe they were demeaned. Right. So then there were protests internally in their countries and then their leaders had to like save face and, you know, make sure that they keep their, their constituents happy or keep their votes or whatever they're politicians, right? So then they would say disparaging things about the United States. Well, then what happens is that the intelligent sharing that happened among so many Western nations and NATO allied nations was that that stopped for the most part. The United States was like, you know what? 
you're going to talk shit about us, we're not going to share anymore. And so from a surveillance point of view, that made things so much worse for so many countries in the world. They went, a lot of them, and bought commercial surveillance systems, mass surveillance systems like FinFisher or like the Galileo product from Hacking Team in Italy. And so started using those these like these dragnet style systems, some of them to gather data about their own constituents or their own citizens and then people who are passing through their country. Um, that's terrifying. I would much rather we share our intelligence and maintain our relationships and do that all behind closed doors as we have done since the beginning of time than have them go out there and hire a private company who's also got access to that data about all of their citizenry and what they're doing and how um, and then use that for whatever means for as long as they'd like to. It's stored forever. So there's all kinds of problems with that piece alone. Yes, Frank. So this, so this moment, no, so, but, uh, but I mean, this is absolutely fascinating. This moment of attempted, uh, you know, of, of, uh, of attempted transparency, result of radical, what might be called radical transparency, uh -huh. uh, resulted in the entire process of uh -huh. intelligence gathering and surveillance becoming much less transparent, much less dem democratically accountable. Exactly. It's just like much less, yes, much less like transparent, I guess, among the folks who were dealing in it. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand why this I, I must come from a distrust of government. Having worked inside government and being such a fan of like the X-Files, I see that what we like to believe is, no, seriously, every day I watch it, it's my favorite show. Um, what we'd like to believe is that you know, there's this larger conspiracy happening, but if you work for a government agency for any amount of time or just try to get hired by one, you recognize that there's no way in hell that's happening because we're, we're run by people and we're doing the best we can, but we're like dumb. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. oh, it's just not going to happen. Attempting to organize any group of people to do goddamn anything yeah. is unimaginably hard. Like that, that we have, that humanity has ever been able to construct a building or regularly till a field seems to me an absolute miracle because right. every time a group of more than three people attempts to accomplish a single thing, it's chaos. It's just yeah. kind of the nature of things, right? The idea that yeah. there's this sort of like massive international conspiracy that anyone is capable of executing. I mean, people, there are plans. Of course, people get like, you know, like, but, it, but they're all, but they're never secret. Like, like the most you can, you can either do something secretly, in which case it is by definition, a small scale effort, mm -hmm. or you can do something big and it must be done publicly. You know, and just, that's, it's a little bit like for, and my favorite example of this, and then we'll come, we'll come right back. My favorite example of this is the way the Koch brothers mm -hmm. have used their money to influence policy and politics at every level in virtually every state in the country. Mm -hmm. That was not a that was not a secret conspiracy. That was out in the open. That we didn't notice it or start talking about it as a, as a political force on the left is really more on us than them. It wasn't like it was a goddamn secret. We're doing it all along. Yeah. We just decided that we're like, oh well, you know, these are just some bad guys. But but but, but that's not important right now. <laughs> right. It's the same with like this open society Soros like conspiracy. He was above board about what he, I mean, for the most part, about what he was doing with his hedge fund money since the 90s. That this is like a shock that people are now in like the 2016 election starting to name him as someone who's, I mean, yes, in that election, he was giving more money to democratic and liberal leaning campaigns. But like, he's also like, this isn't some larger conspiracy. It would take a level of cooperation that we, in collaboration and trust and a lack of ego that we just do not see in our policymakers and our politicians in the United yeah. States, or in frankly any human-run government at this stage. 
Um, one, one more quick point yeah. on conspiracy, and then I do, and then we'll we'll come, we'll come back to, to security positive here. Mm. There is one thing that I think has made has made a degree of conspiracy a little bit easier, and that is uh, Citizens United. Uh, that yeah. it it is now it is easier to hide the sources of money. And so you, and that, and that actually does make it a little bit easier to execute a conspiracy if it's harder, because it's harder to tell who's behind what, right? Like that, that, that blind is a structural, is actually, is a big structural, uh, is a big structural advantage for someone who wants to influence public opinion uh, quietly and behind the scenes. So, but eventually. Now that we are looking at ways for like the IRS to not even be concerned about foreign money coming in, then there's even more concern about who's actually running for office these days. Exactly. It's getting easier and easier. And, and so we see the, the green shoots of these kind of bigger conspiracies that some people have believed are out there with things like the Russian relationship with the NRA and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about security positive. Yeah. Uh, what, what, is, what is, you know, because you, you talked a little bit about what, it's, what, is, what can be done to campaigns. Yeah. Uh, I think campaigns are the place we need to start. Yeah. Well, let me, I, let me add one final thought to, uh, to Assange and to guys like him. And I think that will lead right into what security positive is and does. Please do. Um, you know, I think we see this elevation, this kind of hero worship of these guys in, tra- in transparency around government, the leakers, the folks who are um, like these infosec guys. Like we saw it with Assange, we saw it with what's his nuts, uh, Edward Snowden. There are dudes like Jake Applebaum, like uh, Morgan Marquis Dubois, the, these folks inside the infosec community who are sexual predators who are, and that's not obviously not Snowden, but you see all these problematic folks, and it's like, it's, it's almost like the Orlando shooter. What they found was the guy who blew up, killed all those people in the Pulse nightclub had beaten his wife. It's like, here is the bedwetting. Here is like the pet abuse. Like here is the spousal abuse. Here is the rape. Like this is not a person who you can rely on to provide information in a way that's like meant to be useful or helpful or transparent or bettering democracy in any way, shape, or form. Not just because they're a reprehensible person for having mistreated other people, but I think it's like this clear bellwether, like a clear like indication that there is a motive there that may not be for the betterment of all society. That's a really, it's a really good and interesting point that, that essentially this kind of not, not just, I mean, misogynist attitudes, and also the willingness to act on misogynist attitudes, mm. right? So you're, I mean, it, 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 which is not to defend people who simply hold them and, you know, and maybe don't commit sexual crimes, but it's not what's <laughs> happening here. But, but that is a kind of, that, that is a kind of cornerstone, that is a kind of, a, you know, cornerstone pathology for, yeah. for all sorts of bad behaviors comes from this particular set of attitudes. Yeah, security positive. The idea mm-hmm. as a woman-led organization, and, and I was before in my life in Community Red leading that organization, one of the things that I see as a huge gap in security, and I have for years, in fact, I read the Podesta like piece and on the post, like on an airplane, screaming, like covering my mouth on the plane, screaming. And I was like bumped up to first class and I already looked like I didn't belong there. So I was like trying not to act totally nuts. But it, I was like, dude, I built a fucking business model on this. I've been doing this for years. The issue is that we tend to suppose that security is a technical thing. And security online and off isn't. Like if you've ever seen um, Mr. Robot, he says, you know, looking at an image of a building that they're trying to infiltrate and he sees people in the, in, in, the, in the photo and he's like, I see three vulnerabilities right there. That is my business model. The idea is that people are the ones that are going to make mistakes. The ways that things get hacked into are bad passwords and phishing attempts. It's always been that way. It, that is like the majority, it's like 80% of hacks or 85, something overwhelming. And yet we don't have 
any idea how to write a password that is complex enough to not get hacked in the next five minutes and one that we can remember. And so what our mission is, is to help folks learn these skills because technology isn't going and it, it's not going away. Like it's just not, I mean, it's going to get more complex. There are going to be more ways for us to like be vulnerable unless we start legislating that, which is a different piece of different conversation. Um, but the idea is how can we make sure that you're not putting all of your data in the hands of someone who doesn't give a shit and doesn't have to give a shit, that you're not trusting your IT department that is not a security department. They're doing their best to make sure that the email is functioning or that your computer is up to date, but they don't, they don't have the skills that you need to make sure that your email isn't getting hacked. Frank, do you have a question? I can see you asking. No, 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 I, no, I wasn't, but, but this is a, uh, how much of this do you think of this lack of understanding about what security is and where it comes from is to do with this kind of uh, entertainment or media-based image of a security breach being someone with a computer with their light illuminated by the screen getting through the firewall right like you know like Way to bring in the gender piece until there's like a miss robot like there's not going to be because yes the way we see it is like and this i think is why we elevate these hacker type dudes it's like some guy backlit right just him in his screen and a hoodie and mr robot like continued to like elevate and celebrate that um, and that's not really. Why do they all look like they're at the World Series of Poker? Isn't it? Will never be clear to me. Like <laughs> that, that image is very, very consistent. It's just not useful because, first of all, okay. So this is where I'm going to get into technology because they piss me off too. Like this is one kind of person who's building technology for themselves. I have been in meetings with Google and they're like, hey, so this is like a meeting for us to understand you as a user and your user group so we can build this tool specifically for you, like a UX meeting, right? A user experience sort of meeting. And I have to tell them what questions to ask me because they don't get it. They do not understand that technology can create trauma. It can traumatize people to use technology and that people are not all white, they're not all Western, and they're not all wealthy. Who are using their technologies. So there are questions around how do we build technology that's not going to leave people vulnerable? And the answer to that is you don't have any more white men CEOs. No offense to white dudes. So somewhere, somewhere Elon Musk is his brain is just <laughs> bursting. Yeah, bad things just happened all across Silicon Valley. Yeah, that's the problem is that, and this is backed by research, it's not just me diatribing and like being angry, but the cybersecurity researcher Stephen Cobb found that and again, I don't mean any offense, this is just broad generalizations, white dudes tend to not have nearly the level of nuance in their understanding of risk as women, white women, and then any person of color. The more intersectional the, the identity, the more they understand risk because they have to confront it every day in ways that I don't and that y'all don't. It just makes logical sense. Like I know how to walk down a street and calculate all of these different potential threats that my husband and bless him, like he's had his share of like of muggings and the rest, doesn't have to consider being a white guy in this country. So I think until we see a real shift, I mean, venture capital funds 2%, 2% of what it funds goes to women-led organizations. Jesus. And those organizations, those companies tend to make more money. And Warren Buffett talks about this all the time. They tend to do far better. So it's like these dudes are just choosing, I guess, 
the patriarchy over their own bottom line, which makes no sense because they're venture capitalists. Their whole point should be to make money. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it, and, unless Silicon Valley fundamentally changes, and I don't think they'll do it on their own accord because they've demonstrated for the last 20 years that they're not going to, 15, 20. Um, they have no interest in that unless they're getting legislated differently. I don't think we're going to see a change. What's helpful is to look at the case of like a Kim Weaver who left her race uh, a year after she lost to my pal, Steve King. This is all in Iowa. So she loses to Steve King in 2016. She starts her next race in 2018, in 2017, and gets chased out of the race by rape and death threats. Mm-hmm. Not even just six months later, right? So it's like, it's Catherine Clark who was doxxed. Do you guys know what that is when I say that? Please tell us. Okay, so she was doxxed and swatted. So her information, like her home address, her, e- her personal email address, telephone numbers, that stuff gets published online. So that means that you are publicly, your pu- private documents more or less have been published publicly. Okay, that's where doxed comes from. So she was doxed and then she was swatted where someone called in a SWAT team to her home in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, there are long guns on her front lawn and her family sleeping, like has to come outside and demonstrate that there is no need for a SWAT team. Mm-hmm. So there have been a number of women to be clear, for, forgive me, Shauna, but to be yeah, clear yeah. for SWAT, and just for some of our listeners who may not be as familiar with this, this happens occasionally. There was actually a murder trial, uh, someone who was swatted uh, as the result of a dispute over a dollar over a call of in a game of online Call of Duty. I wish I were making this up. Um, it, you know, the wrong person was swatted. Was swatted. Guy answered his door and got shot. Uh, and and the reason so swatting is you you know to be to be this is this is a common practice that needs to be prosecuted as attempted murder because mm-hmm. you're bringing in you're you, because you're calling in yeah you're calling in people who are usually the the way you SWAT is you call in you make you know make a, a, a call not necessarily to 911 because 911 uh, you know can will know that you're not calling locally mm-hmm. you call another government agent and you report a you report an active shooter or something that would bring out a SWAT team guys with as you say long guns who are assuming they are going immediately into harm's way yeah. they are they are they shoot ready anything to that moves yeah. yeah, it's really um, it's not easy to live through a situation like that for anybody. No, no, and but, as we've seen, and it and and this this obviously the response is even worse if there's a racial element to it. But right, but, it's, but it is ba- it's bad across the board and yeah. dangerous across the board. So please, you, you were saying there have been other uh, you were talking about female candidates. Who mm. out of the yeah, or like women who are politicians. I mean, Catherine Clark is a U.S. congresswoman. That's kind of ridiculous. You know, Kim Weaver was running for yeah. for Congress as well. Like these are not. I mean. Wendy Davis has an example. The Women's Media Center covers this in, in depth, and I'm also working on another project against on violence against women in politics. And it's shocking to me how we can consider these democracies um, when that is the case. So part of the work of Security Positive is intent, you know, supporting candidates because otherwise we're not going to really have a democracy to speak of, but supporting candidates in their security so that they don't make it easier for their opposition to like you know, again, use the sausage making against them. We all have things that we like to keep private. That's why we go to the bathroom and we close the door for the most part, right? Like your internal workings of an organization require a level of privacy and everybody needs privacy. So there's just no reason in discussing like why that needs to be transparent. I don't, I don't, whatever. Maybe I'm too trusting again, I'm from Iowa. Um, But helping these candidates, like these uh, campaigns and then folks when they've been elected to keep their data to themselves is like become a huge passion largely because of this gender angle. Um, you know, the, you guys are also 
Truemanites, so you've been indoctrinated in the women, peace, and security movement. And what that, and it's useful, right? Because what that demonstrates is that there's a correlation, and there's tons of research behind it, between the percent of women, the more equitable percent of women in like a federally elected legislative body, be it a parliament or a Congress, and um, a decrease in conflict, both internally and across international borders. And there's an uptick in extremism, the lower the representation is. And so we immediately think extremism, we think ISIS. I think I would prefer to look at Southern Poverty Law Center and their 1,600 locally like homegrown extremist groups that they are tracking in the United States. I'd like to look at extremism as like these mass shootings that just continue. And for me, for this country to survive, not just as a democracy, but as like a community, a safe community for people to grow up and thrive and live and like be productive human beings, there needs to be more women in office, period. I would like to see more progressives because I think we care about people more, but that's just like my bias. So what I can say, the three things to be on the lookout for in 2018 are DDoSing, do you guys know DDoS? So distributed denial of service, meaning so many people try to pull down your website. It's generally a bot army. Mm-hmm. Try to pull down your website at once and then crash the website. Right, this is um, the stuff that's happened to some banks. And, yeah. And it happened to company. a couple of candidates, I want to say, in the last couple of months too. But yes, yes, it can happen to banks. It can happen to news sources. It was happening to these candidates uh, around the time that they made a big public sort of appearance. Mm-hmm. So intense. Someone gets a lot of earned media. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a big planned event, and they're looking to sign up volunteers uh, yeah. to introduce themselves to new voters and to yeah. potentially increase their fundraising. And bam, website goes down. I don't, I don't have to tell you how important having the website up and working is. Yeah. So then, phishing and spear phishing, which are two different methods of like getting you to download malware by clicking a link in a malicious email that you, you may think is coming from your boss, for example. So phishing versus spear phishing. Yeah. So phishing attempts, everybody's seen them, right? They're like, you know, I have money from you for you from Egypt or like your, your bank wants you to click this link or the IRS is calling you. I got one of those calls the other day and I was like, really? Um, those that are kind of really obvious to most of us, I would just call that blanket phishing. Spear phishing is when it's clearly intended for you. And at that point, we have to ask ourselves like what you've done and why and who knows your name and your email address and what their intentions are. You know, like what, that's when things get a little more interesting. Sure. So spear phishing is more than likely to happen to people on campaigns who are higher up, who don't always like, who see an email while they're on a call. It looks mostly normal. They click the link and then they download a piece of software. And because they're higher up, they have access to all these databases and shit. And then they've just granted that access to whomever down, you know, runs that piece of malware that they downloaded. So if you're higher up, this really pertains to you. Yeah, go ahead. No, so, so you've got, so you've got, uh, you've got DDoS, phishing and spear phishing. Mm-hmm. And then what is the, the third phenomenon third that we one. should look out for in 2018? You need to turn on two-factor authentication. I can talk about passwords all day long. People will change them or won't. I think the best thing they can do is give themselves a a password manager and set it and forget it and like never have to think of a password again. But two factor has to happen on their emails because again, John Podesta, I mean, that was part of why I honestly, part of why Hillary lost. It's like too much of like too much of not dirty laundry, but what was characterized or framed as dirty laundry was aired too publicly. And then two factor means that so when you have like social media presence, so much of it gets hacked so easily because you just have your, you know, your password that's shitty. 
And so if you want to be able to use social media because you have followers there, you've built up followers there, you have like, that's where people go to like engage with you. You have to protect that with more than a password. It, it seems like you're fighting three different groups of people. You're fighting, or, or maybe not necessarily people as well, but, but entities. You're fighting three entities. Yeah. Hackers, bots, and trolls. Can you talk about the, di- I mean, oh my, right? Can you talk yeah. about the difference between these, the, the, the villains of this particular digital fairy tale? Yeah, y'all. Okay, so hackers. So when dealing with, um, so hackers are folks that have a level of, of knowledge, right? That can like, and I, I glibly said earlier, like a teenager could do it, but it's a teenager with a level of knowledge about how to set up a dictionary to like try passwords, how to scrape. So a password is easy to hack for the most part because you have public social media. You might think that your Facebook is set to private. It's not. So you have all your shit out there, right? And it talks about you and your life and your family and their names and their dates of birth and when their birthdays are, you know, so like even if you don't list the date of birth, you have it pretty easily available. So there are, and I don't even think this shit's on the dark web. I think it just lives in the internet. There are um, scraper tools that can amass all that data about any number of people. And um, they can use that to sort of splice the different pieces of data together to just keep trying as like different passwords until they hack into your account or and a lot of that stuff is sold on the dark web like after there's been a hack and you don't change your password a lot of people don't or they use the same password from one place to the next you know you can just get that data dump as a hacker and then go and try that stuff elsewhere Um, can we take one quick step back and can you the cliff notes like the abbreviated cliff notes version of the deep web what it is and why it's so scary uh, or the dark web, dark web. Sorry, it's it's you can call it either one. I don't know that I can characterize it that well. Let me give you a very brief idea. I feel like it's the internet that doesn't have. You're not going to type in a name in the URL bar. It's not going to be like gmail.com. You're going to have to have a specific address, and it's the numbers address, right? Like the one two three dot one six dot four five seven. You know, like. Either that's how you get into it or, and some folks think you have to only go through Tor and I don't think that's true. I don't know enough about the dark web to say, honestly, but the point is, is that it's hiding essentially in plain sight. Like it's not something that's accessible. It's not linked to other ways. Um, It's something that you'd have to go to because you know how to get there. Uh, the ragged physical, like the, the parable that someone gave that, that, that I, was helpful for me to, to understand what it was. Um, and maybe this, maybe this might be a little reductive is, is it the equivalent of, you know, in any, in any city, there are businesses that you can find when they have their sign up, they have a phone number. You can find some like they're publicly information. You can walk into them and buy whatever you can, you know, you can buy your carton of milk or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in, and then in every city, there's also a door that's unlabeled that you can only find by knowing the person that you have the specific password to you go in there and that's where you buy your drugs or your guns. That's what it's kind of, that's, that was how it was explained to me. It's not a perfect thing. Does that sound right? Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, I think, yes, yes, yes. That's, yeah, vaguely, I think what I was trying to uh, describe, but yeah, you'd have to know how to get there. It might be password protected, so you'd have to know that. Um, and then I guess in some cases, you would have to use certain softwares, like the Tor browser would be one, um, but there might be other software that you have to use or configurations of your software. So it requires a level of knowledge um, and expertise to get to it. 
potentially, but there's also plenty of guides out there to tell you how to get there. So I don't know that it's that dark anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I saying? Dark web. LA. It's where you would go to buy your passwords among other things. Right. Yes. Your data dumps. Sure. Mm-hmm. A good website to go to, um, to check if your uh, email addresses have ever been hacked, which they probably have been if you've had them long enough is have I been pwned P W N E D.com. Have I been pwned? Yeah. It's cute. Um, I've, checked, I've checked it myself. It's, yeah. quite, it's, it's quite a thing when you find, and it turns out that I had nothing that was, of course, not, not of course. Whatever, but ever, if, if it's out there, it's been, yes, if it's out there, it's absolutely. been at some point. Absolutely. So hackers are folks who have a level of knowledge. Um, trolls, trolls are just, <sighs> trolls are people who clearly divorce human, like the human experience from the technology that they're using. So we first saw trolls really rear their heads in 2014 with, with Gamergate, with this phenomenon, right, of like um, beating up on essentially feminists, just women who were being women, I guess, in an all-dude field or mostly dude field. Um, you see these hordes or masses of people, and Anil Dash writes about this, like the psychology behind us, like as a community going after folks. I remember getting into Twitter fights after the Ashley Madison like hack. And I was like, you know, it's not cool. (laughs) I don't care that you find these people morally problematic. Like it's not okay to out folks in a situation like this is your consenting adults. There's no child porn or, you know, like no one's getting, I mean, people are getting hurt, but like it's, it's a protection of folks. So trolls are folks who I'd say would, um, they would fight me on that, right? Like they wouldn't like that you, you've taken one stand one way or another. And as a group, we're going to get together and try to um, out you in some way. They're going to try to, you know, dox you, publish your information, or just like make nasty comments and come after you across platforms. Right. So that, that last part, sorry, Frank, that last part is sort of when you hear people talk about like how Stephen Miller is a professional troll or how Sarah Huckabee Sanders betrolls the news media at this point, or Donald Trump is just president troll. That's more in like the latter category you were just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, we talk about trolling, right. As a verb. So I assume that it's, it, it's, oh, he sure is president troll. Yeah, just somebody who's going to incite. Um, and I feel like at that point, we really need to revisit our free speechness because, like, we're so like happy. We're so, like such a like a loving, like, embrace free speech country. But I don't think we think about free speech when it intersects with security and safety. So we just have the one side of it, which, in my opinion, is just like a protection for the privilege. Then, if we're not thinking about how that involve what that like your free speech like the the adage is right that it ends the tip of my nose and we don't seem to be seeing that on the digital side we don't seem to understand that this is causing real damage for people to have this level of freedom in how we speak like trump is the one who said like wouldn't it be great if uh the russians like trolled hillary and got her emails and published them and then the next thing we fucking know they're on goddamn WikiLeaks. so it's wouldn't it be great if somebody nra'd her like Really? Like that's not something that at this point is punishable because you're inciting violence and, right. and trolls right. can't do that. This kind of co- goes back to the, you know, you can't, ra- can't yell fire in a crowded theater. And that needs to be updated is basically what you're saying. Yeah, I don't think that we have, and I went to the Zuckerberg hearing at the Senate and I can argue, you know, Chuck Grassley was, it's like listening to my grandmother talk because they have the same accent from Iowa, talk about, you know, I just trying to hear him. He was tripping over how to say API, right? Like he couldn't even get the three letters out because it's just like obviously such a block for him. I was very stuck on Orrin Hatch, not understanding how Facebook made money, but. Oh, mercy. I, I would say <laughs> on, on some so level. Good. 
Was that the hearing that he took off the glasses he wasn't wearing or was that a different hearing? I think I, I think I had left by that, by that point because it was hot and I was newly pregnant and I was very sick. So I tried to get out of there, but that was the hearing. Um, it was interesting on a lot of levels, but I'd say that these are folks who don't understand and maybe don't want to understand. Um, I had a piece about government and, and their procurement of technology and how badly they do it when it comes to like elections. And I don't think that's a state level problem. I think we see that across the board on the national level. I was doing interviews last summer to prepare for a training on the Hill. And I found that one member had a fucking Alexa in his office. And I was like, do you not see why that's, that's a problem? So good. You're just oh giving Amazon God. all of your information about what you're doing and not going to do like what you're surveilling yourself. Uh-huh. I have a colleague who's a lobbyist who is in, you know, inadvertently taking on a big tech company. And when she uses their product and has it open on her desktop, I'm like, you are, they are scraping the data from all the other tabs that you have open. Stop doing that. And she was like, oh, and I was like, oh my God. Um, how did I get on this tangent? Oh, I don't think that we have legislators who really get it and want to, and that has to shift. Mm-hmm. So on the hacker and, and troll, oh, right. because a troll is, no, but this is right, because a troll, a, a troll in sort of common parlance is someone who, who, ag- who deliberately aggravates someone else. But, but we're talking about an extra level of malice here where these, I mean, and first of all, it is annoying to be like, I mean, trolls can be just, it's bad enough when they're just abusive online. Right. And again, that is a highly, often a highly gendered behavior as we've seen. Right. Uh, but a hacker is someone who can get access to information about right about someone and and what we've seen is hackers handing it over to trolls right like this is i've got this information here feel free like so you're yeah, just publishing, like, it on the yeah, just publishing it go nuts with this and then the trolls yeah. take it and they use yeah. it what yeah, yeah go ahead. where do bots fit into this so bots so i would assume that by bots what we mean is an, like a connected group of several dozen if not a couple hundred computers um, and what they will do is essentially follow commands. So then you have, again, somebody with a level of knowledge that's programmed them to keep trying passwords. You know, they have the same dictionary and they're going to keep trying passwords. Or um, So there's two kinds of bots, and now that I'm thinking about it. The other would be like to do a DDoS attack, right, where there's several of them trying to pull down your website from the server at once and crashing it on the server. Um, and those things are easy to do. It's easy to rent like a botnet like that, right? Um, so networked set of computers is botnet. Um, but bots, like I think we also think about them are like, you know, Twitter came out after 20, 2017 talking about the number, like the percentage of fake fucking profiles that they were continuing to allow to influence our goddamn election because they were so broke in 2016 and nobody would buy them because they're such a shit product that they allowed this content to still get created by the way those fucking people they're bored three of whom are named jack there's three times more jacks than women on their board just saying Mm -hmm. their board was making money off of all of that they were Mm -hmm. making money off of all of that they were making money on like on (laughs) a bought election um, <laughs> <laughs> the great bot election of 27. Yeah. No, but this is this is it. And again, for some of our listeners, the, the the these bots, you know, these are automated. These are automatic Twitter accounts. They're not real people. They can. They some of them look more like real people than others. But the the purpose is to create the appearance that right. a piece of news, in anything from real to absolutely right. fabricated, uh, has you know support and you know and, and it essentially creates an echo. It's like a big megaphone, right? Like the right. more. And, I, I experienced that with a, I experienced that with a client this week. 
the, you know, it, it was a piece of news that was getting some attention and then the bots took over. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you see it being so, retweeted by the thing that has, you know, two followers. <laughs> so what you can see, and this is how I think bots and trolls can even work together or like trolls can't, well, folks can incorporate bots, but what you can see is, yeah, that kind of like reverberation. Um, you can see like the elevation. Yeah. I mean, when you're dealing in algorithms, it's essentially gaming them. Like what you have is like you can rent a bunch of followers, you can buy followers for yourself or for somebody else, and then use those followers to like either quash a message in terms of like how an algorithm understands its value or importance, or you can elevate a message and like blow it out of the water. And then of course, like apply undue influence or create undue influence. Um, Oftentimes they're really distinguishable. Like it's the same messages being tweeted by the same obviously fake people over and over. But one of the things that we found in 2017 in the analysis of what happened in 2016 was that people didn't know. There were folks impersonating really popular, you know, Instagram and Twitter personalities. They were being impersonated by Russian folks, like essentially paid Russian trolls. And they were super popular and had a lot of influence in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, that popped up in 2016 a lot, and we, we still see it, were in 2017 too, actually, are these, you know, the original, the actual genesis of the term fake news, which again began as, a, as something we talked about on the left and then was appropriated by the right. Um, so, you know, but the, but these, these incredibly outlandish, you know, fictitious, fictional, uh, uh, in stories that would be written by, you know, someone in Macedonia, almost inevitably, or, you know, someone in the Balkan States or, you know, the Baltic or Eastern Europe, and then would appear on Facebook or Twitter. And then would just be endlessly shared by this group, by these, by these robots, by these, by these people, these accounts that actually didn't exist. Uh, and my favorite of this, and I, and forgive me, this is, this is, mm. I just have to say how much I love this particular story. Mm. There was one, this is during the Anthem Pro, this is during the last football season uh, and, and during Trump's attack. And, and this mm. was sort of, this was meant to piggyback on Trump's attack on the NFL and, and the racialization of the Anthem, uh, the Anthem protests uh, or, or the stoking of, of racist, uh, of racist mm. hatred around the Anthem protests. Uh, there was a story about uh, the three Dallas Cowboys, uh, Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Des Bryant, how they had burned an American flag in the locker room and stomped on it, shouting anti-American sentiments. And it was obviously, it had obviously been written in Macedonia. Oh and, my God, that's adorable. And to, and, and to, to credit of even the most gullible of Facebook and Twitter users, the story got almost no pickup whatsoever. It was just too, it was just too much. But this is like someone out there is just like, yeah, man, let's go for it. Let's see if we can get, but the, you know, the bots were out there just to roll the dice. Them. About these, you know, the about, you know about this trifecta of skill position players for the Cowboys in their own locker room, just just setting up, just setting fire to old glory, you know, and just glorying in the. How event. I feel about it, yeah. Terrific, just just high, terrific stuff as always. Terrific. Cowboys, terrific. you know, America's team. They're yeah, exactly. I'm telling you, the betray- you know the betrayal is real. The, the thing that I also saw in in the aftermath that I thought was really interesting around. Uh, troll bot sort of combo is that people were renting their real accounts out to be used by whatever political faction paid the money for them. So was I not they... supposed to do that? <laughs> I haven't read your terms of service, at least, so I don't know. But I'm guessing somewhere someone isn't probably very happy about that. <laughs> you've got some if you've got some cash and would like for the comedy blog or yeah. podcast to put it out there. No, uh, we are extremely for sale. Taking <laughs> 
Uh, or just buy a t-shirt and then we won't have to do <laughs> buy all of our t-shirts and we'll say whatever you want so there's right there's like paid promotion that people tend to be pretty above board about but this was very different right like you can just be like i don't I have a thousand twitter followers it's not like and you know probably half of them are, are bot or like not real people right um so it would be like someone like me with like a modicum of influence, a very little amount of influence that would be renting my account so that you could post messages, whatever messages they were, but it would get past the filters or the algorithm, the AI, as Zuck kept calling it in his fucking hearing testimony, it wasn't testimony because he wasn't sworn in, but whatever, um, that he kept talking about, we're going to improve the AI. Well, like at some point, AI is bullshit. And I don't believe that computers are smarter than people. I don't think that we can ask technology to solve difficult human problems. And in this case, it's one of them, right? Like people will continue to game this system for as long as a system exists. And so you can try to like continue to build these fail safes, but you're going to be a step behind or like these like choke points, right? But someone's always going to innovate something else. We're proud of ourselves as Americans as being so innovative. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not gonna <laughs> the home of innovation brings you right wait i thought the block i thought the blockchain was supposed to solve everything see no i can't even i'm not gonna yeah. talk about blockchain all right so I we're not gonna do really blockchain. one person who won't talk about blockchain no. christ Frank, we gotta get somebody on who will actually talk to talk about blockchain with this absolutely not no one wants my dead body yeah <laughs> i don't want no, to no 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 i think blockchain is um it's so interesting because it it's, it's supposed to be a transparency device, right? And it's like transparency in my mind that's akin to the transparency of like publishing um, diplomatic cables. It's like, is this useful? <laughs> it, sure, yes, there is some utility to it. And clearly as Russian trolls found as, the, as Mueller's indictment that came down two weeks ago demonstrated, like they were using Bitcoin <laughs> to set up their servers and, and pull their hijinks in 2016. Um, is it useful to have transparency around currency exchange? Maybe, I guess there'd be some interesting right. applications to that, right? Um, is it a replacement for currency? No, in no way, shape or form. Right. You know, it's like, let's everybody chill out on this because <laughs> it's like difficult to get, it's impossible to spend. And like, why? <laughs> why do we need to recreate something that's <laughs> yeah. working? Uh, but, All right, but so Frank, want to say, Frank let's on, stop the ICO for taking shipcoin. Oh, that was yeah, a bad hang on, hang on, there's one more thing we do have to say though about, 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 uh, about blockchain. Uh, and and particularly and particularly about Bitcoin, uh, if we it's tempting to say that it's never done any done anyone any meaningful good, but everyone needs to remember that a pot backed uh, uh, Bitcoin sent Dennis Rodman to North Korea, and 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 for that we all have cause to be grateful. Truth. I just wanted to say those words in that order. For nothing right, yeah. else, like for the photo ops, right? Like yeah. there was some really cute, they have, they have a real sweet relationship, those two. Just weeping and thanking Potcoin pot for sending him to <laughs> Why has oh, this mercy. happened? All yeah. right. All right um, okay, so before, those before moved, Yeah, before we move to our lightning round, um, oh, I thought shit, because right. this has been a, a wide ranging, really great conversation. I wanted to ask kind of two sum up questions. The okay. first is when you've gone into a campaign to do a training or something like that, what is the most egregious thing you've seen? Uh, Alexa and the Senate senator, senator's office seems pretty bad. Um, and then really where to really follow up would be, what are your top five or 10 things that everybody needs to be doing that they're not? Yeah, okay. Um, open Wi-Fi. You just have a Wi-Fi signal that like anyone can use that doesn't have a password on it. 
I as, think an, that, as the egregious example. Yeah, not, I mean, the Alexa. Not, not something that people yeah. should be doing. No, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> the egregious, let's clarify. Thank you, Ellie. Um, no, I, the, the Alexa was the most problematic, obviously, because it's on Capitol Hill, right? And, and it's, it's in an office where it can be listening to not only the things in that office, but potentially things around it, because as you may or may not know, on Capitol Hill, there is a guest Wi-Fi and there's a regular Wi-Fi and they don't change the passwords and everybody knows the passwords to both of them, problematic. So if you have access to that network, <laughs> Alexa would, she has access potentially to everything. And we don't have any oversight on mobile apps and we certainly don't have any oversight on this like AI in our homes. We don't know what's going into them. The code is a black box. It's owned by Amazon, which is, a, you know, making, it's a company. It's intended to make money and it's going to do that. It's going to monetize whatever data it gets. Um, that said, like it, it, who knows what it's collecting and how much of it. So that would be, I'd say the most egregious example. But the other is, you know, Capitol Hill. Nobody seems to understand that they have to change the passwords to the Wi-Fi. You can't give it out to everybody. It's just not safe if everyone is on that same Wi-Fi. I'm guessing that it shouldn't be like the state bird with the senator's home address. Listen, (laughs) that's fine as long as it doesn't stay that forever. The problem is, so in in the way that we, um, okay, the problem with having an open Wi-Fi or essentially an open Wi-Fi in this situation, I was staying at a hotel in Serbia two weeks ago that had the password to their Wi-Fi printed on the, the card, you know, like the card you use to get into your room. And I was like, well, that's essentially an open Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> like, cool. Glad to be leading the security training here. But the when they're open like that, any computer that has access to them can have computer to the other devices accessing that that network. Meaning if I'm a hacker, if I'm somebody who has a level of knowledge and you and I are on the same wireless internet connection, I can look into what you're doing. I can see what you're doing on your browser, what you're looking at. I can probably like with some level of sophistication, log your keystrokes or look at the cookies. So I understand what your passwords and usernames are. You need to have a secure Wi-Fi connection at all times. So if we're going to get into the five things to do, I'm going to say secure your Wi-Fi or use a VPN, a virtual private network, if you're traveling. Uh, anybody that needs to set that up, there are basic guidelines, and I'm also happy to always talk about that because that is number one. Um, well, it's number one-ish. You have to have a strong password, and that's just like no duh, and everybody knows that, and no one does that. I've seen <laughs> I've seen like campaigns that have the same password. Like everybody has the same password. And at that point, there's no point in having a password, right? Um, And it's like something very easy, like the senator's address or their last name or something that would be very easy to guess. Uh, Don't list the candidate's last name in the year of the election, for God's sake. I think Frank could probably answer this question as well as I could. Um, Yeah, obviously in 2016, we saw the importance of multi-factor or two-factor authentication. For folks who may be like, what? You keep talking about that. What is it? Think about it like this. We already use it, right? Like you, um, when you go to get cash out, you have an ATM card and then you have, um, so you have an artifact, a thing that you can hold. And then you have a code that you potentially have memorized. In my case, I have it in my password manager because I can never remember it. And I've reset it too many times to remember what it is. So you plug in the card or say, you know, when I worked in intelligence, I would put my hand down on the bio reader and then I would plug in my code. So there's a piece of something that you have or you are or you own. And I can talk about biometric data too and its problems, but, and then there's a piece of information that you have memorized. Okay. So two factor is wildly important because passwords are so easy to hack. 
this is easy. You're not going to remember a 26 character password for everything you do. There's too much shit out there to do. Too many accounts to have. Um, let me think. What else would be really smart? Oh, again, for candidates, and I would argue for anybody in office, one of the most important things you can do to thwart DDoS is use a tool called Google Shield. And they've just announced, because they're so benevolent, that they are uh, allowing this for free for any political campaign or politician. They've also done it for free for nonprofits for a long time. It essentially caches your website and reflects it. So if, if you're getting DDoSed and your sites come down, folks can still call up the address and instead of going to your server and pulling it down, there's a redirect that sends it to Google's server and pulls the information down. So people wouldn't necessarily notice a difference. You might see this, Cloudflare does this as well. And so you might see like sometimes you go to a site when there's a problem. Oh my God, when DC was having the water issues and that crashed their site, when we were no longer having potable drinking water for some Lord God knows what reason, um, their site went down. At some point, it would have been useful to have you know, a redirect like that from Cloudflare. And you will see that on some sites sometimes where it says, just give us a moment, we're redirecting and Cloudflare has their um, address. But this is Google Shield that will do it for free. That's four. Oh, educate yourselves on phishing. It's just too easy and it gets done too often and we're too distracted and we're not, I mean, we used to, when I was running Community Red, we had a guy who would red team us, who would intentionally send us phishing notes and it was spear phishing because he knew us, but I can't tell you the number of times I would be like on a call trying to get through my email and I would click on this link and be like, what the hell is this GIF? Oh shit. I did it again. It's really easy. It's really easy when it's well done to fall for it. Um, and so to know what to do and have a plan in place, if you accidentally click on those links, because it happens and it's okay, it's okay that it happens. It just means you need to change all of the passwords. And if you have permissions to different things like a database, you need to change your passwords to that. Does that answer your question? That's five. That's a lot. Of yeah, shit. that's five good ones. Yeah, those are all really good ones. Okay. Well, um, just as a personal question that I'm always yeah. curious if it's the smart thing that I'm doing. Um, I often use my phone as my Wi-Fi device to when I'm like at a bar or something, I, rather than using their open Wi-Fi, I'll just, you know, use my, I'll tether to my phone or whatever. Is that secure or am I doing something egregiously stupid? I think that's smarter than using an open Wi-Fi. Um, it just means that the uh, telecom has probably access to your data. We don't have really strong telecom laws like, right. like that are protecting consumers in this country, but they're not state owned. So if you were in Russia doing the well, Russia, forget it. But if you were in Turkey with state-owned um, telecoms, I would say no. But you're not, so don't do it in Turkey. Okay. Well, um, Smart. moving on to our uh, patented lightning round. Frank, do you want to ask the first, and then yeah, I'll take sure. the second, et cetera? Excellent. So we've got, we've got five quick ones, Shauna, for our lightning round. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Please, a, uh, please uh, name a book, piece of music, film, television program, or any other piece of culture that you'd like to recommend to, to our listeners. I mean, dude, The X-Files. It's like all 11 seasons are amazing. It's my favorite show. Strong. Um, Strong. But if I... <laughs> Let me see if I could recommend something that makes sense. Uh, oh, really great book. It's coming out called Rage Becomes Her by my friend Soraya Shamali. Highly recommend it. Rage Becomes Her. Soraya Shamali. Terrific. Oh, awesome. All right. Um, along those same lines, a, a food or, or a drink at a particular restaurant or not at a particular restaurant that you've had recently that you would recommend? 
See, I can't because I can't eat anything right now that's like delicious um, or drink anything because I'm six months pregnant. Let's see. Uh, this is supposed to be fast, right? <laughs> Shit. Oh, I would go to the Georgian place. What's it called? Supra and have the Hachapuri. Any of them are really good. All right. Strong, Strong recommendation. God, is so good. That's played, oh my God, I felt so awful when I worked out of there. <laughs> and yet so, so happy. Yeah. All right. So uh, the one question that we kind of just toss, we, we make new things up every, every day when we ask this one. This is, there's never much to it. Uh, are tater tots French fries? No, dude, they're tots. Excellent. Totally different texture. All right. Um, in the Trump era, um, a lot of people, many of our listeners included, and people on this call, uh, are looking to do something. Uh, what's one organization you support and why? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's really tough. I think I support Planned Parenthood for a variety of reasons. Um, not just because I think that, especially with this, <clears throat> with Justice Kennedy stepping down and the potential for Kavanaugh being our next um, Supreme Court justice, that Roe v. Wade is at a particularly precarious moment. I support them because they uh, provide fucking healthcare to people who need it, who don't have the money for it. And if anyone, if, if anyone's ever bought their own healthcare, like before ACA in the, in the market happened, um, I was a freelancer for a long time. I've been an independent contractor for a long time and I had to buy my own healthcare. And a woman, uh, after a certain age is charged double or was before ACA. So healthcare for women is a lot harder to get. It's a lot more expensive because they are, you know, it's a numbers game and they're assuming you're going to have a kid and that's expensive and that's on you. Um, so I think they're super important because they provide like reproductive health care to half the population and a part of them that can't afford it otherwise. And it's a real privilege to have health care in this country, but even more so if you're like poor black and a woman. Planned Parenthood, hell yeah. Yeah. Shona, where can people who wish to follow you and hear your thoughts uh, and on, on a variety of subjects. Shauna, where can they find you? I mean, sometimes I'm on Twitter at Shauna Lead, L-E-A-D. I didn't know that's what it was not supposed to be lead. Lee is my middle name and my last name is Dillaboo, so I just put L-E-D. Um, yeah, but it's also so, nominative determinism. <laughs> so Shauna Lead, S-H-A-U-N-A-L-E-A-D. Um, but I would suggest probably better would be to connect with me through securitypositive.com. Um, but then I'm, you know, I would publish in either place if I'm out there writing anything. All right. All right. Um, Shauna, this has been terrific. Thank you so much for taking so much time on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, we would Sweet. like to also thank our listeners for listening and beg and uh, I mean really hands and knees beg everybody to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever they're listening to us on um, and also visit the website takingship.com uh, as far as we know we are not susceptible to DDoS but you never know at this point um, uh, but we certainly do have t-shirts available and we do it through PayPal which people still still say is relatively close to a gold standard so we will continue to take your money through PayPal um, or in person, we still take cold hard cash, but no Bitcoin ever. Mm -mm. Just no. 
doubloons. Doubloons, perhaps, but. Oh, we will take, we will, believe you me, we will, if you have a Spanish doubloon, you would like to give us for any number of t-shirts. That That is a deal that can be made. Yeah, we'll sell you a kidney if if it's a big enough treasure chest. Our principles are for sale at a very reasonable price. Not Bitcoin, though. Not accepted here. Well, at a price. Again, something that has value. (laughs) Bullshit made up money somewhere else. Yeah. I tried that in like kindergarten to like buy a candy bar with some dollar bills I drew up. Didn't work then. It's not going to work now. (laughs) That's basically the first Bitcoin. We can all agree if we just agree it has value. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to be in good company, y'all. All right. um, And follow us on Twitter at at taking ship. And that's ship with a P as in uh, philosophy. Um, And with that, Frank, where are we headed this week? This week, we take ship for the Pacific Northwest, uh, which actually is something that I'm going to do next week. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, But also, as part of our broader mission, we take ship for the Pacific Northwest because uh, there was recently a series of articles uh, in uh, in Live Science, Science Daily, and elsewhere uh, to the effect that sea pickles... Uh, these are these are pink uh, uh, vegetable growths. Sea pickles are invading the Pacific Northwest. Uh, a sea pickle, as everyone knows, is just a sea cucumber that has been brined in sea vinegar uh, and a series of sea spices. Um, sea pickles are, are adapting to the Northwest. This might seem fairly innocuous, given that uh, in the war on the sea, we generally conceive our, our enemies as being the pernicious octopus, uh, giant sharks, and every other damn thing. But I see what's happening here. The sea, the ocean, is opening up, is attempting to open up a new front in this war. And specifically, they are coming for our sandwiches. More specifically, they are coming for the pickle-dependent Cuban sandwich. And this I will not stand for for a second. We see what you're doing, Ocean. We're on to you. You have gone too far. Leave our sandwiches alone. We're going to the Pacific Northwest, and we're going to sort this damn thing out once and for all. Friends, we take ship for the Pacific Northwest. Take care, everybody.